right, today, man, is a, is a special Sunday in a, a lot of regards. You know, for the past 15 months, we've been together as one church family. And so for starting last March, man, as we, we kind of came together and we did the live stream for over a year. And, and then the past two months, man, our three campuses have come together and we've all been gathering here. And this is our last Sunday kind of being all together as, as a church family. You know, starting next Sunday, our Hillsborough Village and our Marathon campuses are going to be sent back into the neighborhoods that they're planted in to reach those different parts of town. And and, and I go, man, I've just been thinking about today and, and thinking about how fun this past year has been. Um, man, to, to get to see you all, to, to be reminded that we're a part of a big family, a big family committed to a big mission to reach this city for Jesus. And, and so today is a special Sunday as, as we go, man, this is going to kind of be our, our launching point that for Hillsborough Village Marathon, man, you're being launched back into neighborhoods. People at Cannery, man, there's going to be seats that are opening. And it's just this reminder that, man, this mission demands full participation from all of us. And I've just been praying. I've been asking God, what is it that, that you want us to talk about today as we kind of have been together for, as a family for a year and as we're being dispersed? What is it you want us to, to hear and think about? And the story that has just been in my heart this week is the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and for some of you, man, maybe you've never heard the Good Samaritan, and this morning is, is going to be your first time hearing it. And for others, man, you are so familiar with this story that you kind of just rolled your eyes that we're going to be talking about it, because deep in your heart, you know this story. And, and the reality is that's kind of how I felt this week as I was looking at Good Samaritan. I'm like, man, I've heard this story so many times. And, and yet my, my sense is that if we will come to this story with fresh ears, that God will have something fresh for us this morning. And so, um, you know, the, this, this one truth I want us to think about this morning as, as we jump into the story, the closer you get to the Lord, the more you care about the things that he cares about. That the closer you get to the Lord, the, the more you see the things that, that God cares about, the more the, the, you see the things that matter to God, the more that you get close to God, the more you spend time with God, the closer your heart is to the heart of God, the more you care about the things that God cares about. And really, this is the way that every relationship works in, in all of life. That the more you spend time with someone, the more you discover what matters to them. You spend time with my wife, and what you're going to discover is that she learns to, she loves to learn. She loves to learn about people. So we'll be sitting there watching a documentary on Netflix or we'll be watching a football game and she has her phone out and it's not because she's doing her own things. She's doing research on the wide receiver that just caught a touchdown, trying to figure out where they came from and what their mom does for a living. And, and she loves to, to learn and not just learn, she loves to share those things. And so if, if, if you're ever in our house, you're going to learn so much and, and you spend time with court because, and you discover that she loves to learn about people. I mean, I was thinking about some of my friends. <clears throat> you know, my friend Jana Og. Jana's our, our missions pastor here at Ethos. If you spend any time with Jana, what you discover about Jana is that she has such a heart for, for the nations, that, that she cares so much about other people all over the world, knowing the good news of Jesus. Or I think about my friend Jonathan. Jonathan is on the, the welcome team this morning, on the welcome team this morning, Jonathan St. Martin. And what you discover about Jonathan is that he, he values loyal, deep friendships. And guys, this is the way that, that life works. When you spend time with somebody, you discover what matters. And when you spend time with the Lord, when you get close to the Lord, you see what he cares about. And what you discover as you spend time with Jesus, as we look at the story in the morning, the thing that Jesus cares most about is people. Is people. And so I want to walk through the story this morning. And, and I want us to look at, man, the, the purpose of us getting closer to Jesus 
The purpose of us being here this morning is so that we can care about the things that he cares about. And so we're just going to work through this text, just kind of one verse at a time. So Luke chapter 10, starting verse 25, this is the word of the Lord. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, this man is an expert in the law, not in the way that we think of a, 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 law, a law keeper, a, a lawyer, man. We, we think of a lawyer, we think of courts, man. We think of, of contracts, man. But this man, as what you discover is that he's an expert in the biblical law, in particular, the first five books of the Old Testament, that he is a master of it. And what you discover about this man is not that he's just an expert in the law. You discover some things about his, his motivation here, that, that he shows up to Jesus this day and his motivation isn't to learn from Jesus. It isn't to be close to Jesus. It says that he shows up to do what? To test Jesus. This man shows up with ulterior motives to expose what he believes to be true about Jesus, that Jesus is a fraud. And I think this is really significant because, you know, the context of this story isn't Jesus sitting on a mountainside and crowds of people coming to him and him sitting in that moment going, Father, what do I need to teach in this moment? That happens sometimes. You see that in Matthew chapter five. But here in Luke chapter 10, the context is Jesus is sitting with some people and a man stands up arrogantly to try to expose Jesus. And he asks him this question. Honestly, it's a, a very good question, a question that, that each of us hopefully have wrestled with or will wrestle with? Man, what does it mean to inherit eternal life? Like, what does it look like to be right with God? That's a great question to ask. And I love what Jesus does because although this man's motives are mixed, man, Jesus uses this moment to, to engage him, to invite him closer. He doesn't treat this man the way that he just was treated. Man, Jesus could have exposed him. He could have ridiculed him in front of everyone. He could have exposed his ulterior motives, but Jesus, out of his goodness and his kindness, engages this man to draw him in. Verse 26, Jesus asked him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Verse 27, the lawyer asked, or the lawyer answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, you've answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor, Jesus? And it's so interesting because this man, he, he quotes, if you go back and look at verse 27, he quotes two different passages of scripture that are in the, the Old Testament law. And we read this, you know, you know, especially if you've been in church, you hear those words, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, what Solway taught on last week so well. And the second verse, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And we hear that and we go, oh yeah, of course those things are together. But in the Old Testament, those things were not together. They were in two different books of the Bible. Now in Jesus, when Jesus shows up in Matthew 22, he brings these ideas together. He, he brings them together. So if those mind, things are together in your mind, it's because of Jesus. Jesus says, yeah, these two things work together. And so what we discover about this man is that either he had been sitting and listening and absorbing the teaching of Jesus, or he had spent time in the scriptures and he had come to understand that what mattered most to God was that we love God and that we love people. 
This, this man was incredibly intelligent. And he, he, he knew the answers up here, but there was something off in his heart. You see, what hit me about this man this, in, in this story is that he came not to be trained by Jesus. He came to, to test Jesus. And there's a, there's a huge difference. When you come to, to learn from and to be close to and, and to walk with and to love, there, there's a complete heart posture disposition that's different than, than when you show up like ready to throw punches, ready to prove wrong, ready to humiliate See, this man, he had, he had no interest in, in the real answer that Jesus had to give. In fact, he already knew the answers. This man was interested in elevating himself, looking smart, trying to win the conversation. He wanted to know, Jesus, who do you think I have to love? Like, I know this answer. Who do you think? And I love Jesus, man. He chooses not to humble him. He doesn't humiliate him. He engages him. Because he wants this man to come close. And this is what he says. I love that Jesus tells a story. Those of you who are good at storytellers, man, you get that from Jesus. There's a reason you're good at telling stories. He, he's good at telling stories. And so he just, he bursts into this conversation. Then he just breaks into this story in verse 30. So Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where he was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus said, which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You know, in this story, there are so many different details that it's just like little gold, like waiting to be mined out, you know? Um, so the story, there, there was a priest and there was a Levite and, and some of you know this, but some of you don't, man, that the priests and Levites were, were, were the people that, man, they were the, the, the best people. Man, they were the people that, that walked with you to help you get right with God, the people that were in your corner, that loved you, that, that, that served you, man. Their whole life was about helping connect you with the Lord. I mean, these were not despised people. These were the elevated people. And so when Jesus starts telling this story about a man getting beat up, and left for dead. And then Jesus says, and then a priest came by. Man, every person in that room that was listening to that story, man, their heart just filled up with pride because they knew the priest was about to help. It'd be like Jesus telling a story saying, man, hey, there was a person that got beat up and Francis Chan saw that person. And we're like, yes, like Francis is gonna pick him up. He's gonna take him into his home and take care of him. And the story goes like this. Francis saw the person and he walked right past them. And they would have been shocked. Like, what? That's not who they are. Jesus keeps going and, and then a Levite shows up. And so I want you to think about, man, who is the person in your mind that, that would never leave someone unattended to? And it'd be like saying, hey, man, this was, the, the, there was someone beat up and, and Aaron Etheridge and Joshua Soloway 
and Andrew Smith and Josh Willis and, and, and our staff, like they saw someone that, that had been beaten up and they just, and we're, and we're going, yes, like we know they're gonna help. And they walked right past them. And they're being so confused, like what? And then Jesus, then Jesus says, and, and then a, a Samaritan passed by and helped him. See, the lawyer that, that Jesus was talking to was, was Jewish. He was ethnically Jewish. And this doesn't mean a whole lot in our context, man, but, but Samaritans and Jews, they did not get along. Um, that, that there was tension between these two ethnic groups, that there was bitterness, that there was centuries of pain and resentment because each group believed themselves to be God's chosen people. And if you believe that you're God's chosen people, what does it mean about everyone else? <laughs> Yeah, that they're not. Good job. That's a great answer. I was not expecting that. Like that, that was awesome. Thanks. <laughs> Give me some confidence there. Like, and, and so there's, there's this hatred that exists. And it's so interesting that, that Jesus would choose to use a Samaritan, Jesus, a Jew himself. Like he understands this. He's not oblivious. He's not ignorant to the context in which he grew up in. He's very well aware of what's going on around him. And he chooses this, this person that is this hated to be the hero. You know, it's not apples to apples, but it would be like in our context, Jesus telling a story and, and the hero being someone from ISIS. We'd be like, what? Like, we would be shocked. We'd be so confused. And we just kind of read over this like, yeah, Samaritan. But, but in their context, what Jesus was doing, it was offensive to the man that was listening. And I, and I love the details of the story. And, and honestly, this kind of bothers me because like, I don't really care for people like this if I'm just being 100% honest. It, it makes me uncomfortable how well this Samaritan cared for this guy who was beat up. You know, he, it, the, 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 the way that he serves is costly. So he, he picks this guy up and, and he takes him to, to the inn. He takes him to the hospital. <laughs> Says that he spends the night taking care of him. I mean, that stretches me. <laughs> um, he gets up the next morning and he, and he gives him two denarii. And that doesn't mean a whole lot to us. But to them, that was two full, day, full, two full days worth of wages. You know, most people believe that, that back in the day that you could stay in an inn like this for like one twelfth or one fourteenth of a denarii. And so literally this guy is abundantly being generous. He is taking care of this man. It's not just, hey, here's something for, for the day. It is, I'm going to make sure you're taken care of for the next month. It's, it's, it's costly. It's inconvenient. Man, it's like, where was he going? What was he doing? We don't know. But what you discover about this Samaritan is that his priority was this person. That whatever he had to do, it was not more important than this person who was made in the image of God. He's inconvenienced for him. It's costly. It's, it's risky. And so this road from Jerusalem to Jericho was actually a literal road that, that the uh, original audience would have been familiar with. And it was an incredibly dangerous road where, where thieves and robbers were, were really known for, for hiding and then when people would come by to ransack them, to steal them, to beat them up. And so what you discover, what I discovered this week is that, in fact, a lot of times what people would do, what mobs would do is that they would have one person laying down in the road pretending to be hurt. And so that a, a good hearted person goes up to them to help. And then the rest of the group mobs them. It's just like dark. And I love what, what this Samaritan man, it wasn't that he was just a kind person. He was risking something. 
There was danger involved. And he got close to the man. And Jesus gets done telling the story and he looks at this man who's trying to expose him, who's, who's trying to elevate himself. And, and Jesus looks at him and he says, which of the three people, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, was a good neighbor? And he said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, I want you to go and do likewise. You know, there's so much about this story that I just think is so important, so beautiful. You know, for some of you, man, you, you have spent so much of your life just being at odds with Jesus, being at odds with the Father, being at odds with the Holy Spirit. You have all the answers, but if you're honest, there's nothing really going on in your heart. You have all the head knowledge, you know the scriptures, you know the stories, but man, there is nothing in your heart that actually loves the Lord that actually wants to submit and wants to lay down your life. Man, if, if you're being honest, you're here this morning because you wanted to prove that God isn't good, that he isn't real, that he doesn't care. And I love this story because Jesus is showing you what he's really like. That no matter what your motives, and he knows them, he sees them, he's not confused by them, he's not oblivious to them, he sees you. And he's inviting you closer because he wants you to be close to him. You see, I love that in this story, Jesus is helping us to, to really think about and to see what it means to love our neighbor. I mean, he is really elevating the, the bar on what it looks like to love people. And it was for, for the, the lawyer in this case as well. You see, for, for, for the Jews in the days of Jesus, they had relegated neighbor down. You know, when they, when they said, hey, love your neighbor, you know what they thought of? They thought of other Jews. They thought of people who thought like them, who looked like them, who believed what they believed, and, 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 and they had reduced this great command that God had given in the very beginning to, to love your neighbor as yourself. To, they reduced it down to, to just loving people who look like me and think like me and act like me and who I like being around. And we do this too. You know, in fact, in, in their law, Leviticus 19, this is a, a passage of scripture. It says that when a foreigner, which a Samaritan would have been, when a foreigner resides among you, do not mistreat them. The foreigner must be treated as a native born. Love them as you love yourself. For you are foreigners in Egypt. You see, they, they had this command and they'd reduced it. They, they'd made it where they, could, where they could do it. They made it simpler. They made it where there wasn't as much risk. There wasn't as much on the line. There wasn't as much danger. It was, it was convenient. It wasn't costly. It was easy to love fellow Jews. And I think about us, and I go, I wonder how much the culture, I wonder how much the enemy have impacted our perspective on who it is that we are called to love and what that love actually looks like. You know, the reality is, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, when we hear, love your neighbor, none of us go, that's a bunch of garbage. <laughs> we hear that and we affirm it in our hearts. We're like, yeah, of course, love your neighbor. Like, we all want to do that. Like, we believe it. We're striving to live this way. But, but let's get a little bit deeper into this, man. Um, when you think about loving your neighbor, how do you treat people who don't vote, vote like you do? Let's keep going. Man, what about when, when someone wears a mask or doesn't wear a mask? 
Man, what do we do when, when someone doesn't believe what you believe? Doesn't think like you think, doesn't live where you live, doesn't dress like you dress, doesn't look like you look. And don't give me the answer you think I want to hear. I want you to answer it in your heart. Is, is this the Samaritan type of love? Is, as you look back on your life, is, is that how you've loved people who think and act and believe differently than you? Do we love them like this? Or do we, just like the Jews of the day, do we just kind of distance ourselves from them? And we surround ourselves with people who look like us, believe what we believe, who think like us, who are easy to be around. And how, how, do, you, how do you treat people that are different than you? I'll go first. Man, I judge. And uh, man, when, when people don't um, do things like I'm doing them, my tendency is to look down on them. Uh, man, I, I, I so often in my head, I look at people and I go, man, you're ignorant. You're immature. You're uninformed. You're racist. You're trying to promote your own agenda, your own name. And, and the reality is, guys, when, when people do things that are different than us, our tendency isn't to move closer and to serve them. It's to judge them and move further away from them. You know, the detail I love in this story comes in verse 34. It says that verse 33, he, took, he saw him, took pity on them, and then I love this in verse 34, and he went to him. He got close. My brothers and sisters, man, it is, it is easy from a distance to make judgments about people. It is, it is really easy from a distance to, to paint pictures and to assume and to assume the worst. It is easy from a distance to ignore people, to disparage people, to cancel people. You know what I've found? Being a missionary in this city, I found that it's, it's so much easier to be merciful, to love people when you actually get close to them. In, in fact, things often change when, when you move closer to someone who's not like you. Thursday morning, I was uh, meeting a guy for coffee and I got there early and um, outside the coffee shop and I saw this man who's currently experiencing homelessness. And, and you know, I went inside and or I went and got my parking ticket and put it in the car and then I was walking past this guy and I'm like, I need to go talk to him. And so I, I go, and he's sitting by himself, and, and I sit down, and I kneel down on my knee in the parking lot, this coffee shop, and we start having a conversation. And, and I go, man, it is so easy to assume things about people who are experiencing homelessness and to put them in a box and to never even have a conversation with them. And reality is that that day, I had a lot of things I needed to get done. It's like I needed to write a sermon about being a good Samaritan. Like, I don't have time. <laughs> I don't have time to, you know, talk to people today. It's like, I got this thing I got to get done. And, and I started to listen to him. And he didn't ask me for money. He said, hey, someone stole my phone last night. Can you, can you make a phone call for me so they can turn off my phone? And I asked him, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself. Oh. 
starts to open up, discover that, man, he lost his dad really tragically when he was eight years old. It's like, I've been homeless most of my life. I'm like, yeah, makes sense. Dad plays a, a crucial part. A, a, a godly dad plays a crucial part in the development of kids. And you don't have that and things go right. Yeah, I see that. At the end of the conversation, you know, I said, is, is there anything that you need? You know what he said to me? I need love. <laughs> Guys, it's, it's easy. It's easy to make um, assumptions it's easy to not like people who are like you from a distance. It's really hard when you get close to not love people. Um, it's, 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 it's really hard, and you might not even agree with it, but man, when, when you sit down and you engage with someone who doesn't believe like you or think like you or live like you, it, it does something in your heart. I remember last year in the, in the height of kind of some of the racial tension in our city, and I have a friend who's a pastor, African-American pastor here in in, in Nashville, and I remember going to lunch with him, and we were just talking about this, and, and he's a bivocational pastor. He actually works in the sheriff's office here in Nashville, and so he and I start talking, and, and I'm like, hey, tell me a little bit about, you know, so we're hearing all these things from the media about there's just disproportionate amount of black people being arrested and put in jail, and I'm like, hey, tell me about that in Nashville. Like, what does that look like in Nashville? And I said, are there disproportionately amount of black people arrested in Nashville? He said, no, not in Nashville. He said, but there are disproportionately amount of people in the Nashville jails. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, the difference is that there's a, a poverty. He said, a lot of white people can you know, these are minor things that people get put in jail for, like not having a taillight out or having a light, driving on a suspended license or, or whatever it is. He's like, they're not major crimes that people have done. And, and he said, a lot of white people have money to, to post bond to get their loved ones out of jail. And blanket statement, this is not true for everyone, so I'm not being stereotypical here. This is what he said, that a lot of black people, they don't have the funds to get their, their dad out of jail from bond. And it's easy to, to hear things from the media, right? It's easy to make assumptions and to make calls because of what your friends are posting on social media. But when you take a step closer, man, this, this crazy thing happens in your heart. You know what it's called? Compassion. That this crazy thing just starts oozing out of your life when, when you get close to someone who doesn't think like you or see the world like you do or believe like you. Guys, when, when you and I refuse to look past the people in our path, but instead to see people, especially people who are not like you, especially when they're in a predicament, so often compassion is this thing that comes out in your heart. I remember several years ago, uh, it was one of our very first years of being a part of Ethos. And uh, um, I was working at Lipscomb at the time. I was working in campus ministry. And I got to know one of the, the, the men who cleans the student center at Lipscomb. And just this amazing guy. And got to know him, got to know his story. He and his wife were expecting their first child. And I was, you know, he started letting me in on his life. And I realized that, man, um, every morning he would get up at 5 a.m. And from 6 to 2.30, he would go and work at Belmont. Um, and then from 3 to 11.30, he would go and work at Lipscomb just to make the ends meet. And 
he and his wife were, were having their first baby. And, and I remember getting to know this guy and, and just realizing, oh man, he doesn't have the community around him like we do. In our house church, we got together and we're like, man, what can we do for this guy? Let's throw him and his wife a baby shower. And so a bunch of college students, literally college students, and, and right out of college, man, they get their mom and dad's credit cards. It's a great way to use your parents' credit cards. And they just went to town, like, serving this family. And we got, they invited us over into their home. We got this cake, and, and we showed up, and we got to just bless this family and love on this family. And it's what happens when you choose to, to look at people and see people right in front of you. And instead of turning your head, man, you take a step towards them. You see, I believe what Jesus is wanting to do in this story is to expand our understanding of not just who we consider to be our neighbor, but what it looks like for us to be a good neighbor. And guys, if I'm honest, it's really hard to do this. In fact, I don't think that, that you and I, we can listen to this teaching, we can read this in the Bible, we can feel the, the something in our heart stirring, and, and I actually don't believe that we can muster up enough willpower in ourselves to live this out consistently. You're like, what? Are you, supposed, are you a preacher? Like, what is that? What kind of encouragement is that? You see, I think the only way this type of viewing and loving people is possible is when we understand that this is how we were treated. Man, do we realize that, that at one point we all were, were, were enemies to God? And some of you still are? You know, I don't believe that we actually believe that deep in our hearts most of the time. I mean, most of us don't believe that we were ever God's enemy, even though Colossians 1 says that. Man, we look back at our lives, man, when, when we were living in unholy relationships with our boyfriend or girlfriend, or man, when you were, when you were giving in to every fleshly desire you had, and we just go, yeah, that's just kind of a part of, of figuring out life. And, and it, no, you're an enemy of God. You were ISIS. You were, you were working against the things of God. You were an enemy. You aligned your heart and your life to completely dismantle the work of God. You were an enemy of God. I was an enemy of God. There was a time you didn't think like God. You didn't believe like God. You weren't on God's side. And as much as we like to think the best about ourselves, the reality is in every way, we were like the man who'd been beat up on the side of the road. And God looked at us, people who didn't look like him, who didn't live like him, people who were not holy, people who didn't believe the same things, people who hadn't figured out their lives. And God, through Jesus, chose not to turn his head and to ignore us, but God, through Jesus, chose to come close to us. That the perfect son of God, seated at the right hand of God, became flesh. For 33 years, lived a perfect life, misunderstood, hated, he never sinned was spit on, was hated, was made fun of, was misunderstood, and he did all of this because you and I were in need. Completely helpless. There's nothing we could do to change our situation. We couldn't just walk back and, and ally ourselves with God. We were dead in our sins. We were hostile to God. We were enemies of God. 2 Corinthians 5 21 says that God made Jesus, God sent Jesus who had no sin 
to be sin for us. It means that Jesus came and, and God dealt wrathfully. Think about that. Man, when, whenever you see real injustice, did, did any of you feel wrath in your heart? Like, do you want wrath? Like, there, there's a good characteristic to wrath. Wrath punishes injustice and darkness and evil. And, and, and on Jesus, God poured out the fullness of his wrath because of our sin. On Jesus, God justfully and fully dealt with our sin. Isaiah 53 says that by his wounds we are healed. And when we understand what Christ gave up for us, what he did for us, when we really take that in, that we are no longer sinners, that we are righteous, that we are no longer enemies, that we are God's people, that we are no longer hurt and disparaged, that we are healed people and, and, and we're awaiting our full healing when Christ returns, that, that none of us are convinced that, that we've experienced full healing in every regard. We still know our minds and our hearts and our bodies need to be healed. And so we cry out for Jesus to return to make all these things right. But in reality is that when Christ died on the cross, you and I were healed. And we were sealed. And we were marked for the day that Christ returns to be taken with him forever into glory. And when this love, when this reality fills our hearts, that what Christ has done for us, it's not what we did for ourselves. It's not what your pastor did for you. It's not what your house church leader, it's not what your friend, what Christ Jesus alone did for you and saving you forever from hell, from the devil's grips. When that comes into your heart, that he saw you in your helplessness and he came to save you. You will not, you will not keep that love to yourself. You cannot. It is impossible for the love of God to be in your heart and for you to live a selfish, turn my head life. When the love of God has permeated and filled your heart, when you are close to Jesus, you see people in need and you go, man, when I was in need, God came close to me. When people don't look like us, when they don't vote like us, when they are in need, what do God's people do? What do we do? I'll tell you if you don't know. We help them. When they don't look like us, when they don't believe like us, when they're against the things that we are for, and they're in need, we help them. And we don't do it just to change people, okay? It's, it's okay if you want that. Like, I think, in fact, it's, it's a, we, we should want that, especially if people are not following Jesus. We should serve them, and we should want them to come to know Jesus, to experience the life and the love that we have. Man, but we don't serve them it, 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 up to a point, even if they don't believe what we believe and love what we love. We serve them, and you love them because that's what Jesus did for us. And you trust that your good deed in their life that God will use in God's timing to awaken them to Jesus. And so there's no pressure. There's no pressure. We are servants. We are missionaries. The things that were important to Jesus are important to us. The closer we get to Jesus, the closer we love the things that he loves and the things that he loves are people. We're gonna take communion here in just a minute. And one of the things that we do as a church family is we take communion together. And so I encourage you with the person you came with or to circle up chairs with the people around you and, 
And, and there's going to be a question up on the screen, and I want you to, to wrestle with this question, but also want you to, to, to think about this, man. To, to, if you come in this morning and, and your heart is cold and distant, just ask God to revive your heart to the gospel and to people. Like God, he says, ask. It'll be given to you. The reason you don't receive is because you don't ask. Ask God. God, my heart is cold. I don't love people. I don't want to love people like this. I'm selfish. Just he knows it. Tell him. Ask him to change your heart. Man, if, if you come here this morning, you're not a father of Jesus, I encourage you to get close to Jesus. Give your life to him. Let him put to death the person you were. Put to death your sin and your shame. Let him give you a new heart, a new mind. Let him give you the Holy Spirit. There are going to be some men, women over at the Respond Manor. We'd love to talk with you and pray. If you're taking communion and you go, man, I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to get right with God. You can do that with people you came with. And we'll also be available at the Respond Manor. So I'll pray, and then we'll take communion. God, thank you so much for this morning, for every man and woman and child here. Jesus, you are alone exalted. And we look to you and we love you. I pray that, that you would fill this room. God, you would move in our hearts. That all the things that all are, are cluttering our hearts and our minds, keeping us from you, from living like you, being close to you, remove those things. God, send us out of this place filled with your spirit, with a renewed sense of what you've done for us. So as we break the bread, as we drink the cup, move in this place, Lord. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Answer our prayers. Give us your presence right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.